1: Hi, I'm Will Schwalbe, and you're listening to But That's Another Story. Last year, we hosted a live panel with three authors at Book Expo America and shared the program on the podcast. We heard from many listeners who enjoyed the conversation, so much so that we returned to Book Expo this June. I had the chance to chat with Arthi Shahani, Stephen Chbosky, and Nicole Dennis Benn about books that change their lives. Here they are. So we're going to start with Arthi, and I'm going to introduce her a little bit. Arthi is a NPR correspondent and the memoirist behind, as she said, Here we are, American Dreams, American Nightmares, which releases on October 1st, 2019. And it details her family's immigration story of moving to Queens from India. Before working in journalism, she was an organizer in New York City, helping prisoners and families facing deportation. And today we're gonna talk about the years right after she left organizing to become a business reporter. So um, first, Arthi, I'd love to hear about those first few years after you left New York and moved to California. Why did you leave New York and what was the experience like?
0: I was just running as fast as I possibly could. And you could say it was that I was 31 years old and I I felt like I needed to leave home. I felt like I needed to leave my parents' life so I could really build my own. I definitely felt like I needed to fix my credit score, which was a disaster. Um, And the move to California was really, okay, who am I when I'm not cleaning up my family's mess or deeply defined by and entrenched in their experiences? Um, And I'd say the flip of it also, also, California's beautiful. So I got there and I was like, whoa, you know, I didn't know the earth could look like this and there was an opportunity there because you know when you migrate whether it's from one country to another or from one part of this country to another you're making a bet right is there an opportunity in this place i'm going to what will i find what what will await me here uh, and it just so happened that my move to california happened at the same time as i was making a pretty drastic career change i went from You could say pretty uh, left-wing community organizer working in jails and prisons in New York, including Rikers Island, over to Silicon Valley technology correspondent pretty quickly.
1: Now, when we asked you about a book that changed your life, you mentioned Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Tell us, how did you first come across Americana?
0: I was dating a guy who was no good for me. um, (laughs) But he did gift me that book. And I thought it was really interesting because the dynamic was I was really trying to make it work with him. And we had the most awesome meet cute story. Like we met at a club dancing. It was like the only club in San Francisco I liked. And I really wanted to make it work with him. Um, And it didn't. It just kept not working. And then for my birthday, he actually gave me that book. And as I started reading it. I mean, part of what happens in that book is that you've got a protagonist who is slowly and messily finding her own voice. And I remember reading that and turning the pages and being like, oh my God, is like this his message to me? And then, then I started to be less interested in, in him and us and actually just kind of stirred inside. Like, I felt stronger reading her and um, a deeper sense of purpose.
1: And so... When when we were talking to you before this this show, before coming here, you you had said something, a phrase that really struck with me, which is that reading the book felt like the experience of meeting someone who you immediately know you're going to be friends with. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What was it in the uh, character of Ifemelu that sparked this in you?
0: Yeah, she was a really, she is a really sassy, self-made young woman who decided to leave where she was from And she loved where she was from. She had really good relationships with her family, with her friends there. She felt a deep connection to it and still she ached for more indifferent. And the book is about that journey. Uh, And she's fun. She goes and she has access to like really random and variant places. Like she finds herself on like the, the very lily white Princeton campus. And yet she really wants to talk about braiding hair in Harlem. And I think that that, that woman who is not only capable of living in very different worlds, but whose heart actually needs to live in very different worlds, I'm drawn to that person. Those are a lot of my friends.
1: And in your, uh, in your extraordinary memoir, you do write about being at a, a lily white school, which was the Brearley School in New York City. That's right. Um, yes. d- did that in particular resonate with your experience of school?
0: I think if you've ever come from a more humble background and stepped into the hyper-elite, the most simple things are jarring. You know, when I got to Brearley, it wasn't just um, that I went from a classroom of 45 students in Flushing, Queens, where I'm from, to a Latin class of six students. And I was like, where is everyone? Oh, this is the whole class. (laughs) Um, But I learned words I just didn't know before. Like, for example, country house. I didn't know what a country house was. And the idea that people could have not one, but two homes blew me away. (laughs) I lived for, for the first chunk of my life in a one-bedroom apartment with me and my other four family members. I mean, I would say that, so in my book, and I'll just explain a little bit about this, it's a father-daughter story. Um, you could say that's, that's one version of it. That's, that's my heart version of it, is in my book, I am working through the journey of how did my dad, who was, when I was growing up, in my opinion, so third world, so backward, so in my way. I mean, basically I had the classic immigrant daughter feelings about her dad. How did that guy end up becoming my best friend? Um, and it happened in the context of a criminal case that destroyed his life. I mean, I'm not. Uh, this is right at the beginning. Um, basically, uh, when I was 15, my father, who ran a wholesale electronics store on Broadway, like literally my first time at the Javits Center, was at our family's booth selling electronics wholesale to distributors when I was a kid. Um, but he ended up selling watches and calculators to the wrong people to members of the Kali drug cartel. And he was brought into a criminal case that we thought was going to go away quickly and spiraled into 15 years of problems that destroyed his life. Um, and so the book, you know, the title, uh, it's Here We Are, because as a matter of fact, here we are, um, American Dreams, American Nightmares, it's that, you know, I've lived the American Dream we talked about Brearley and the upper crust, and my father lived the American Nightmare and they're both real and they coexist in the same family.
1: One of the books that I I recently started is by our next guest, Stephen Chbosky. It's an extraordinary novel called Imaginary Friend. Stephen, uh, when I asked him uh, for a book that changed his life, uh, chose a book that also came to him in a pivotal period, and that's The Stand by Stephen King. Now, Steven is probably best known for his coming-of-age novel, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, as well as for writing and directing the film version of that book. He also is the uh, creator of the show Jericho, Beloved of My Godson, and uh, in the years since Wallflower, he's written for a variety of TV shows and movies, from the screenplay of the movie version of Rent uh, to Jericho, uh, and he also uh, did the 2017 movie Wonder. Steven's passion as he was coming of age himself was horror, and that is also the genre of Imaginary Friend, which releases October 1st, 2019. So Steven, I'd like to start out. Tell me a little bit about watching horror as a child and what drew you to the genre.
2: When I was a kid, my parents were incredibly reckless and let me really watch anything on HBO I possibly wanted to watch. And so I watched uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining when I was 11. I saw John Carpenter's Halloween when I was, I think, nine. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get enough of those movies. And as I got older and my, and my ability to read improved, I, I gravitated towards uh, Stephen King. And so to ask like what drew me to it, it's just, I don't know, for me, it was just, there was a thrill. It was like you got to uh, have a, a life or death situation that wasn't real, but it felt real. And uh, I couldn't get enough of the feeling.
1: Now, you chose in particular The Stand. Can, can you tell us a little bit about The Stand and what was going on in your life when you read it?
2: When I read The Stand, I was living on 108th Street between Broadway and Amsterdam, and it was right about the time that I started writing The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And you, you wouldn't necessarily look at The Stand and Perks in the same light, but I will say this. The Stand was one of those few books, and the first one I could really remember even though it's I think the the trade or the the mass market is like 1450 pages long. So it was very daunting to me, obviously. But I started reading it and I was like, Okay, this is I've heard it's good. And then I hit page 70. And then I could not stop. I couldn't stop reading for four days. I, I blew off work. It was it was obsessive. And when I realized that you could have a narrative in a story that was that complex, that imaginative, but also that intimate to have them both at the same time is just fascinating.
1: Did the stand uh, inform your uh, writing of Perks?
2: Well, it, it informed it in the sense that it, it made me realize how, how a book could make you feel. Yes, Perks, is more, Perks was more uh, uh, influenced by books like, say, Catch on the Rye, or Separate Peace, or This Side of Paradise, or some of the other uh, coming-of-age novels that I grew up reading. Um, and it's certainly influenced by my childhood and, and being a teenager in Pittsburgh, where I grew up. But, but in terms of the passion of what a book can do, And the passion of just turning the pages just that you've got to know what happens next even if it's something as small as a a boy's freshman year of high school i tried to make perks in its own quiet way a page turner
1: i I know this is a sort of you know a question that is often asked of writers and always seems odd because it's asking if you could foretell the future but was there anything while you were writing perks that that led you to believe that this book i mean it's 20 years on and um it's reaching a new generation of readers was was there anything in your mind that told you that that might happen with this book? Yes and no. I mean, five
2: million copies, no. Um, but in terms of just that one-on-one connection, when I, gave, when I finished the first draft, I gave it to my sister and my friend Dave, who were the two biggest readers I knew. And I said, listen, I'm either crazy or this is a real book. And real book meant something that was worthy of being published and read and, and being in bookstores and libraries, etc. So they read it and they said, it's a real book. That was the first clue. And the second clue, it happened, I'd say a year after Perks was published, and I got a letter from a young lady who who was feeling very depressed and suicidal. And when she told me that she was gonna kill herself and she read my book and decided not to do it, that's when I knew, because the number of copies doesn't really matter, the number of sales doesn't matter, because five million, it's like, I see each individual person. That's what's so extraordinary about writing and about reading and about the dance that we, author and reader uh, do together to me whenever young people especially but whenever people come and they say oh my god the perks of wallflower it's like you really knew how I felt right and I say back to them well thank you because that means you know how I felt
1: One of the extraordinary things that books can do is help us realize that our dreams are a possibility. Uh, And they can also help us more deeply understand ourselves. And that's, I think, one of the things that our next guest, Nicole Dennis-Ben, might be talking about. She chose the extraordinary book Zami by Audre Lorde as a book that changed her life. Now, Nicole is the author of a debut novel called Here Comes the Sun that burst onto the scene and just amazed and devastated and delighted and astonished. Tons of readers, myself included. And that's a novel that follows two sisters in Jamaica. And it explored themes around sexuality, gender, race, and Jamaican life. It was named one of the best books of the year in 2016 by The New York Times, NPR, and others. Uh, Nicole's new book is called Patsy. Um, Nicole uh, in Patsy looks at themes of motherhood, immigration and sacrifice for love it's out on June 4th and I do have to say I had the great privilege of hanging out with Nicole and her wife Emma when we were all at the Nantucket Book Festival and got thoroughly lost uh, on the way back from a party Um, so this is a joyful reunion, we made it Um, Nicole, can you start out by telling us about Zami by Audre Lorde and what was going on in your life when you read it
3: so I encountered um, Zami while working at the library. Um, so when I first came to America, I worked. Um, I was a work-study student um, in the library, and Zami was one of those books that I picked up. Um, it was recommended by one of the librarians who was working there at the time. And I love the fact that, you know, of course she saw the Caribbean nest of Audre Lorde talking about her parents from Grenada. But as I read, I was also coming out to myself as a lesbian, and also I was a newly arrived immigrant. This was like around 1999, to 2000. And I, as I read Audre Lord's um, story, I realized, wow, I saw my story in that book as well because I grew up not seeing myself on the page or seeing my experiences um, on the page. And so when I started reading Zami by Audre Lord, seeing that here is a writer who was also from a Caribbean heritage, um, a self-proclaimed lesbian, a, a poet, um, you know somebody who actually was raised on the, the roof of a very strong Caribbean woman and you know kind of um, pushing against that, and also um, herself, um, Grappling with her American, her new, her new Americanness with her immigrant um, family or background, and so to me that spoke to me a lot. Given that I was so homesick, and I was just grasping for somebody to speak to, and my accent was thick at the time. I mean, now I know I have a, a thick accent now, but when I first arrived in America, it was so thick that I didn't really make much friends. So reading and writing were the the ways how how I coped with being in this new country. And so when I read Zami, it spoke to me in many ways. You know, I was introduced to the racism in America. Um, I remember her talking about her family being in DC and the people, um, the waitress not wanting to serve them. And you know, it's interesting because in Jamaica, I never considered my blackness. Um, It was only when I arrived in America that I started seeing myself as black. in that sense, not that race is not um, talked about in Jamaica, but in America is a completely different conversation. And so when Audre Lorde, you know, in terms of her unpacking what her, her blackness, her queerness, her um, womanhood, um, to me, that was something Seeing that intersectionality on that on the page was what drew me in even more to her writing and then subsequently her poetry. Was it immediately obvious to you that the book
1: was going to have this impact on you? Um, what, what, what point in reading it did, did it start to speak to you?
3: Of course, when she started coming out to herself as a lesbian, um, because, I, you know, again, I'm coming from a country where being a lesbian is something that's taboo. You know, I at, at the time, I thought I was the only one on the island who felt that way, who was attracted to women. And when I saw Audre Lorde writing openly about her attraction to her friend, and then, of course, living with all these great women who she fell in love with in in Manhattan, I was like, wow, I've never had that conversation before. Another woman who's so openly talking about her sexuality that way. I actually, I ended up writing. That's how I started writing journaling because most of my journaling was really me, you know, processing my identity. And Audre Lorde was a big um, influence on that.
1: So, so the book was very present in your mind when you were writing. Here comes the sun.
3: No, so you know, I I'd long forgotten about Zami while writing. Here comes the sun. <laughs> I mean, it was in. Uh, it was def- definitely on my bookshelf. But I feel like the person I became while writing. Here comes the sun, um, really allowed me to really explore those issues of race, classism, colorism, sexuality, gender, and displacement on the island. Um, I feel like uh, writers like Audre Lorde gave me that courage to speak out, and the, James Baldwin. Um, you know, because of. um, I grew up um, really, you know, for me, growing up in a household where I was told not to air my dirty laundry in public river, you know, so basically just silencing and um, silencing me and also having me respect shame more than my own voice. I felt to me to be a writer is really going against all of that you know, finding the courage to speak about not only myself in terms of my identity, but also the stories of the women, the people around me who felt like they had to be silenced, you know, or silent and not wanted to um, discuss the issues that are usually swept under the carpet.
1: Um, there's a there's a quote um, that I, I'd love to get your your take on. And, and it's from Zami. It's just simply a choice of pains. That was what living was all about. Right. What does that mean to you?
3: Um, so, I, you know, one of the things with, with processing, um, like, pain, um, to me, so there were certain, certain different traumas in my life, uh, you know. Of course, immigrating to America was one of them. I never processed that as a trauma until later on. Of course, in therapy, I was sitting there and my therapist was like, you know, that was trauma. Um, you know, I came here at 17 years old and um, the whole assimilation process could be painful. And, you know, I had to pick, choose and refuse what I um, could dwell on because there was a time when I had this crippling um, depression um, where I was like, I have to leave this place. That's why when you said Americana, that spoke to me as well because um, if a, if a mole, that's her name, um, went through that, you know, where that you want to go home, but you know, you can't go home because once you go back home, it's like, you're looked at as a people uh, by your community, like, oh my God, you failed. You know, what did you do in America to have you be so, you know, to, um, to, fall, to um, fall this way. And so I didn't have that courage to say to myself, you know, I'm gonna, I am gonna actually called my mother, the first person I called, and she said to me, the first thing she said, you're at Cornell, you know, do you know how many people would like to get into a university like that? You need, you'd better stay. And I heard that over and over again. So of course I stayed, but at the same time, the way how I was able to process that pain was through writing.
1: So certainly in the character of Patsy, as much as I've met her to date, there are characters who are, are not readers, and I would just, uh, you know, love to hear a little bit about um, the the sort of the, the gifts that
3: that books have brought you and your characters. Yeah, sure. So um, for me, so I write about working class Jamaican women um, for for a reason. Um, first of all, you know, we we're so marginalized. You know, very rarely. Um, I, growing up, of course, I never saw us on the page, never heard us. Um, so I, I, for me, it was—it's important for for me to tell our stories. And so Patsy um, is one of those women. You know, I wanted to explore this. Um, This story, um, of course, through the lens of this woman who's trying to find her place in the world and she does so by coming to America feeling that, you know, this is where she's gonna be a new woman. She could reinvent herself. Because to um, to every immigrant, America is sold as a fantasy and, you know, for her, it was important for her to come to this this world where she thinks she can have it all, um, love the way she wants to love, but of course leaving her five-year-old daughter behind. So basically abandoning her daughter, given that um, she never really embraced the role of motherhood. So really, she was running away from motherhood as well and trying to you know see who she can be in America and you know writing a a character like that you know that character probably wouldn't have seen um you know, like, from, unlike me, you know, didn't come to America educated, you know, didn't have the luxury of going to Cornell and then graduate school and being on this panel, for example, with other authors, you probably would see a Patsy walking around um, with a carriage, you know, pushing a baby uh, on the Upper West Side or Upper East Side. You probably have, would have seen her as a bathroom lady cleaning in the various restaurants around the city. Um, that's not a woman who's going to pick up a book that I wrote. You know, she's not gonna even know I exist. Um, but for me, it was it's important to tell her story because she's the woman I grew up with. You know, my, my mother's story, my grandmother's story, the woman I grew up her own in Vineyard Town, Kingston, which is a working class community. And um, it's important for me to really, really their, their stories that way. And hoping to one day, you know, go back to empower them to tell their own stories one day.
1: Wow, thank you. Um, so I've been so greedy with our guests. We only have time for a couple of questions, but uh, raise your hand. That's it for this episode of But That's Another Story. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to But That's Another Story on iTunes or wherever you like to listen. And if you haven't already, leave us a review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Will Schwalbe. Thanks so much for listening.